Christian, if you passed away, RIP, right? And you found yourself in a weird situation after death to where you felt like there was some kind of afterlife and then you were resuscitated. Would you like, let, and let's say in this afterlife situation, you had like some kind of like crazy experience, right? Like some kind of intense story. Okay. So what happened is no, you're, no, saying, no, 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 no. you're saying I died on the operating table for my knee replacement. Yeah. And this is the afterlife. Yeah. I flatlined. Yeah. And then all of a sudden I'm like still conscious of stuff going on around me. No. I can see myself or something. And then I go to the light. Yeah. Okay. Go from there. I get, you just changed the afterlife. It was like it was like a different episode that you were having. Oh, okay. Then, but it's same exact thing. Afterlife, none the same. Okay. Uh, and let's say you have this profound experience, and then you're resuscitated. You get back into your body. Do you believe at that point what you saw, or do you think that it's your brain, the the last the final firings of those neurons trying to create this crazy thing? The final neurons are firing the oxytocin, the happy chemical, all that shit pouring into you creating this this final like beautiful scene before you just pass off into nothingness where would you land i'd be like i'd come back yes i'd be like i had the most amazing hallucination when i lost <laughs> oxygen to the brain okay <laughs> even even if you were in like you said in the operating table right you're in the operating room and you're looking down and you see the doctor do a weird wiggle dance with his arms and you're like, that's a weird thing for the doctor to do. And you wake up and you ask the doctor, hey doctor, did you by chance when I was dead uh, and you should have been taking care of me, do a weird wiggle dance with your arms? And he's like, well, gee, gee golly, I sure did. How did you know that? Would you then say, okay, so my soul had left my body. Maybe the soul exists or maybe energy is somehow conscious and there's an afterlife. Or would you still stick to hallucination theory? I mean, if, if I saw the doctor when I'm like out or dead doing his little dance, yeah, like a football celebration that I died, sure, yeah. you know, after he scored his touchdown, I would be like, first, rude, and I'd probably never go to that doctor again, and I would give him a bad Yelp or whatever, bad review. Sure. Um, and then <laughs> if I saw that, I would think astral projection type thing. Because you would be outside of your body, yeah. which would prove that your conscious exists outside of your body sure. or could exist, which yes. as a skeptic, I, I can believe. I don't believe there has to be like a heaven or a hell for your conscious sure. to be outside of your body. Yeah. doesn't the, have to be. Sure. The I'll body is just a container. Yeah. Um, what it contains, we can argue about religiously and sciencey, sciencely for <laughs> many more years. Oh, I'm sure we will. Yeah. And that's fine. But there does seem to be a way for your consciousness to experience the world around you without being in your body. Didn't we just do something or a video on something similar, but it was more astral projection falling in your, when you're sleeping. Oh yeah. yeah. False sure. awakenings. False awakenings. Yeah. That it was, was a similar type. That was very recent. That was yeah. literally the last episode. Yeah. So yeah, very recent. Interesting that it kind of wove into this one too. Yeah. I mean, it seems like just recently to all our listeners, but we actually had a little break. So we did. Yeah. It's been a few weeks. Yeah. Time moves different in the freaky deaky zone. Yeah. It doesn't roll off the tongue as well. I'm going to try to get this episode started. So that's freaky deaky. Yeah.
wait, did you, you, you just asked me a question and we spent 20 minutes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, it was, it was going to be one of those short opening questions that, you know, I like to do from time to time, uh, but it turned into an episode of its own and that's freaky deaky. Mm, yeah. That is. Did you know? Intro number two. Being the editor, you're like, have the power of a deity to make a long intro short. I do, but it's a lot of work, Christian. It's a lot of work. But less guilt than a real God would have because you don't, have, you don't have to smite anybody. It's fantastic news. Yeah. All right. Uh, welcome back to the Freaky Deaky. We are thrilled to be back with you again. And uh, some breaking news be, before we begin, and I, I almost totally spaced on bringing this up. Uh, last episode, you may remember that I started it off with a funny ha-ha about how Heather's not with us anymore because she... Uh, hates us and doesn't can't stand what we're doing and it was hilarious at the time and when you hear the irony it's going to be even more so hilarious for you now um about a week or two after recording that episode heather came to us and she's just feeling a little overwhelmed balancing podcast life home life and stuff like that and uh keeping up with the episode workload that we do she hates us yeah <laughs> no so we just you know we told her you know take some time whatever do what you gotta do be with your family and when you find free time and you can work on episodes and stuff like that you're, you've always got a spot here so she'll be bouncing in for the the holiday episode she'll still be doing the true crime she's kind of focusing on that a little bit more right now and uh making sure that gets popping off and if you've been listening to the true crime episodes you know they've uh come out pretty damn good yep pretty damn good so she's gonna be focusing on that we're we're back to a uh, dynamic duo christian and um we apologize yeah, sorry. for having to put up with us. Sorry for the tangents that are sure to, sure to lie ahead. We are going to bring in some some guest hosts from time to time to, to fill that third spot. We'd love to get to Amanda back on the podcast. She would be a, a fun episode to do. Yeah. So Amanda, if you're out there listening, reach out. Let's make this happen. Let's do that again. That was a fun finale. But either way, uh, yeah, there's no weird bad blood between the three of us. No fun, juicy drama to send to BuzzFeed. Is it sad that when you said there's no bad blood, I thought of Taylor Swift? It is sad. It's really sad. And I'm the oldest one here, so I shouldn't be thinking. Yeah. You are the oldest one here. Yeah. And you're the oldest in most rooms. Um, well, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Not just here. Many places. Many, many places. Um, yeah. So, Heather, wherever you are, we'll know that you still listen to the podcast if we get a text from you that says, turtles are sometimes purple. And I still hate you. Yeah. No, don't don't hate us. There's bad blood. There's don't. bad blood between Christian and Heather. The, the, there is not bad blood. The drama's out there. Go find it. BuzzFeed, reach out. Um, <laughs> so, she'll be back probably for the Christmas episode. She'll be back for kind of special episodes we do. And every once in a while, when if she's got free time, yeah, we told her she's more welcome to, to join in. Uh, get the socials out of the way early on, I guess. That is the gang at thefreakydeaky.com for emails, or you can find us on social media at freakydeakypod on Instagram and Facebook and at TFT Paranormal on TikTok. You're also going to want to swing by the YouTube channel and subscribe to that. We're posting video extras for all of our episodes, talking bonus stories, the whole nine. You're going to get a kick out of it, and you are going to want to be subscribed to that. Also, check out the merch store. It's at the website, again, thefreakydeaky.com. So let's not bore you with any more of those details. And let's start talking about some uh, near-death experiences, which is why we're all here today. Gotcha. Gotcha. So today we're going to be looking into firsthand accounts of near-death experiences in an attempt to pierce the veil for a mere glimpse of what potentially awaits us on the other side. While researching this episode, I pulled from multiple sources, but I'd say like a solid 75% came from a book written by Dr. P.M.H. Atwater. 
entitled The Big Book of Near-Death Experiences, The Ultimate Guide to the NDE and Its After Effects. For anyone even remotely interested in this subject, I definitely suggest picking up a copy of Dr. Atwater's book. It is phenomenal, and it is very mind-opening, and I have thoroughly enjoyed reading it, and I think you will as well. Other sources include Life Science, Wikipedia, HorizonResearch.org, and of course, Reddit. Good old Reddit. Love Reddit. Oh, yeah. This guy, Atwater, does he have a famous relative? Do you know? Do you know when this book, or I, remember when it was written? I think it's a woman, Atwater. Oh, that would explain probably the initials, because, you know, it used, <laughs> it used to be that female authors had to use initials to get published back in the day. Because I, I was doing research for another ep- episode, and an Atwater came up. So we'll be talking about a different Atwater here in the future. You, you boys love water, apparently. We're always at water. I, yeah, I you know, speak. I always have dreams that I'm at water. There you go. Maybe, uh-huh. maybe you are at water. And so we're going to dive into Christian's book right now. So this, this first one does come from that, that big book, Near-Death Experiences. Although the term near-death experience was coined as recently as the 1970s, these episodes have occurred and been written about for thousands of years. Plato wrote of a near-death experience in the Republic, and in the Old Testament, there are repeated cautions to the Hebrew people against following the practices of their neighbors who believed that the dead lived on and could be communicated with, calling such beliefs and activities, quote, an abomination unto the Lord. <coughs> Sorry. I waited till you said, said that. I almost died there. Then you would have, <laughs> We you almost would have got to try this. <laughs> yeah. And you come back and be like, Scott, I have the craziest news. Uh, I was at water. (laughs) What a shock. Near-death experiences can range in content from an out-of-body experience, an OBE, to being in the presence of God. They imply that there may be life after death because of the imagery encountered and the accuracy of details verified by a third party that often could not have been known by the experiencer in advance. The most striking feature of a near-death experience is that while a human's brain can be seriously, even permanently damaged in three to five minutes without sufficient oxygen, no matter how long a person is dead, there's usually little or no brain damage. On the contrary, there's brain enhancement once the person revives. This condition is one of the ways to know that what happened was indeed a genuine near-death experience. Uh, Some common elements in near-death scenarios Thousands of near-death scenarios have now been studied worldwide, revealing common elements and patterns, even though the actual way the various elements are experienced and described may vary widely. Some people report finding themselves in a garden, walking along a road, or skipping through a pasture. Others describe great cities that sparkle like jewels or what it's like to hop aboard a light ray for a trip through the universe. Many speak of entering huge libraries or halls of judgment while a large number wind up in familiar terrain talking with deceased loved ones or playing with former pets that act just like they did while they were alive. Religious figures such as Jesus or Buddha, angels of various persuasions, beings of light, and spiritual guardians of every sort are reported so often they have become the mainstay of near-death literature. Raymond Moody Jr., a philosopher, psychologist, physician, and author, God, leave some jobs for the rest of us, Raymond, most widely known for his books about life and death and near-death experiences, counted the term in 1975 in his best-selling book, Life After Life, where he shares over a hundred stories that, he, that he'd gathered through his research. Moody's original work identified 15 elements overall, ineffability beyond the limits of any language to describe, hearing yourself pronounced dead, feelings of peace and quiet, hearing unusual noises, 
seeing a dark tunnel, finding yourself outside your body, meeting spiritual beings, a very bright light experienced as a quote, being of light, a panoramic life review, sensing a border or limit to where you can go, coming back into your body, frustrating attempts to tell others about what happened to you, subtle broadening and deepening of your life afterward, elimination of the fear of death, and corroboration of events. Some experiencers mention traveling through a tunnel as part of their near-death scenario. Some refer to this tunnel as long and dark and that they were alone in it throughout the journey. Others say there were bright lights that flashed along its walls, or that it was colored or even transparent, and that other people were there. Almost everyone states that they swooshed through its length at great speed. Some said they heard and felt the sensation of wind rushing by them. Just as many people say the tunnel went up as down, or straight away. In most cases, a light appears at the end of the tunnel, and experiencers note that is where they are headed, a light described as brighter than the sun, but that doesn't hurt their eyes if they look at it. This light is invariably experienced as loving, intelligent, accepting, forgiving, and ever so wonderful. Seldom will any near-death experience or scenario contain all the elements that have been noted so far and commonly cited as, quote, typical. Indeed, the average experience will only consist of about half of them, oft times less. The famed tunnel component, for example, is present in less than one-third of the actual experiences. In the first ever national poll taken on near-death states by Gallup in 1982, only 9% claimed to have passed through a tunnel. Because the image is so captivating and has been widely popularized, experiencers have been known to make up a tunnel component to their episode or call any form of darkness they encounter a tunnel, just so they can convince themselves and others that what happened to them was genuine. In short, the now popular notion that all experiencers leave their bodies go through a tunnel and into the light, meet deceased relatives in heaven, and are then told to come back is fanciful at best and confusing at worst, misleading not only to the general public, but to the experiencers as well. Excluded almost entirely from public view are unpleasant and hellish scenes, feelings of distress, threatening beings, flashes of light, and dark, complicated, and lengthy involvement with otherworldly teachers, experiments with matter and creation, short trips that seem to have little meaning, disembodied voices, historical backgrounds, and so forth. These are as much a part of individuals' near-death states as the more familiar elements. In some cases, the experiencer chooses to return. In others, the person is sent back, usually with the admonition that he or she has a job yet to perform or a mission to do. There are a number of reports where the experiencer chose to stay but was sent back anyway. That would suck. I, I want to stay. Be like, no, this is pretty dope. I think we're going to kick it. Yeah, they're like, there's like, mm, you nah. show up and they're like, do you want to stay or go? Yeah. You got this to do if you go back. I want to stay. Oh, no, you're going back. <laughs> you failed the test. You're going back. Yeah. Now now you have to do this to get back. Yeah. Like, we really, really thought you were going to say the other thing. So yeah. now this feels awkward, but sorry. You got to. Like 99 out of the last 100 people said the right thing. You have chosen poorly. <laughs> Classic. Indiana Jones reference. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, that's primarily from that Dr. Atwater book, and it goes hella deep on some of these uh, life after death, like just the entire rundown of percentages of people that see certain things. Like, it literally is a definitive guide to the shit for the most part. Um, a great, great read. And actually, you'd probably enjoy it a lot, Christian, if you read it, because there's some. I think I've read parts of it. Yeah. It's a very good book. I was actually pleasantly surprised, and it was a fantastic purchase. It'd be. 
okay, let's let's say for a moment that these OBEs happen. Yeah. Um, or life after death it's type real. scenario scenarios happen. This like when they talk about the tunnel, hmm. you know, and that maybe people forming that image in their brains or just making it up when they come back because they think yeah. that's what's supposed to happen like maybe that's what they see or or that's just what their whatever their consciousness interprets yeah. when they get back when it gets back into its brain because you're going to see everything differently in this situation anyway because you don't have eyes no matter what your kind of eye. spiritual being you might be or energy you you're not going to see the same after death yeah as you would do you um, think it'll feel the same though? Do you think it'll be just as natural as seeing? As, I think like, maybe whatever energy you are, whether it's spiritual or just plain energy moving yeah. on to its next place in the universe, it'll be interpretable. Like seeing is more just like knowing type thing. I don't know. Kinda, that's kind of weird because, like you, like you say, you wouldn't have eyes. Yeah. So you, so you're gonna like, knowing is a good way to put it, but then it's gonna get confused when you come back to a like say a human form. Yeah. Because your consciousness works in tandem with your brain yeah so the information might get jarbled a little bit send the wrong signals and then you have to formulate what that vision you thought that before you came back to your body you understood hmm. now it gets a little confusing like say a, somebody that's been robbed and can't describe their assailant even though they look straight at them and we're terrified they can't remember anything about them that's correct yeah and that happened to me yeah, it happened, happened to me, to me too. I mean, I can't remember. And I think we've talked about it before. You can't remember certain things. That's why you can't trust memory. I had to trust these... feeling. I had to trust feeling in mine. Because I, I looked at the guy, I'm like, it feels like him. But honestly, I can't tell just by looks alone. And it ended up being the dude. So, so. Yeah, and that that does happen sometimes. But then also sometimes our feelings are wrong. Our feelings can be racist at times. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't say that. Let's <laughs> no, say, hey, hey, who did? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's a fun subject. Yeah. That we're not, it's going to be a while till we find out what's going on. And it'll probably be disappointing whenever we find out because it'll be all scientific. And oh, sure. Yeah. That tends to be less fun. True. But it's coming. I think we'll find out what's going on at some point. Yeah. We got the actually, let's get into the, the first story here. If you want to lead us down the case of Ricky Bradshaw, I used also, to play hockey with a guy named Ricky Bradshaw. Hey, this is from 1975, so it could be no, your buddy. No. I wasn't <laughs> playing hockey in 1975. Sure, yeah. The case of Ricky Bradshaw. We called him Rick. Oh, so it must not be the same one. Yeah. Used to play hockey without his shirt on, him and his whole team. Skins. It was like shirts and skins, from, but gotcha. it was hockey instead of basketball. Yeah. Weird. Weird story in fifth grade. Uh, I was playing basketball, and your boy is socially awkward as fuck, so keep that in mind. And... uh Mr. O'Donnell, who I've talked about on the podcast before, kind of a hard ass at school, lovable man outside. We had started a game at, like before school, so it was like 6 a.m., cold as hell outside, winter in the desert. Uh, nothing like cold here, but still cold when you're 10. And uh, for some reason, I froze up because he, he asked me, he's like, Walker, you, does your team want shirts or skins? And I was like, ah, skins. <laughs> Why? Why would I do that? First thing, I was so nervous that he had looked at me and asked me something that I was like, ah, skins. And everyone on my team was like, looked over at me like, the fuck? I'm like, I don't know, Flaunt, if you got it, I guess, guys. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Take off your shirts. I'm sorry. And yeah, so fun little, that's a fun story that I get to share with our listeners. Wow. Very traumatizing. You're welcome. To your friends. Shout out RPU. Is that the name? Is that your school? 
Robert P. Ulrich, yes. When you say RPU, it sounds all fancy. Like it's down a at university. RPU. Yeah, no, this was California City, so let's tone down the university talk. But <laughs> uh, that's that's university for California City. Maybe. Sorry, our California City listeners. Yeah, all zero of them, sure. All right. In 1975, Ricky Bradshaw of St- of Staunton, Virginia, had his torso literally ground in half when he became trapped between two automobiles backing into each other at a grocery store parking lot. I had to pause for a second when I read that because I was like clicked in my brain what I was about to say. Yeah. Weird, weird visual. Yeah. I did. I did not enjoy that. Unsettling. Thank you, you, Scott. It's a great start. Not one paragraph into the story already talking (laughs) about being ground to beef. Yes. He had been docked to his knees by the force of the blow while attempting to put grocery bags in the trunk of a car. Only his spine and a few cords around it were left intact before the drivers realized what had taken place and let up on the gas. Ricky was pronounced dead at the hospital and his body heaped onto a gurney in a corner. The driver realized what had taken place and let up on the gas. How fast was he backing into this guy? I don't know, like 25 miles. <laughs> yeah. All right. The group, a group of medical students noticed the cadaver and requested that they be allowed to experiment with it. What is this? I know. What a, great, what a great thing to say. Hey, look at that dead guy over there. Can, can we fuck around with this dead body? Yeah. Is that cool? The doctor's <laughs> like, yeah, just leave me alone. Whatever. Yeah. Clean up your own mess. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess we should have read the the rest of that. <laughs> no, no, man, that was wrong. <laughs> it was wrong. That whole thing, like, let's experiment on that yeah. cadaver over there. Yeah, which is exactly why they call it a cadaver. Because then you're like, oh yeah, it's a cadaver. We'll experiment yeah. on it. It's not a dead body. It's just a cadaver, guys. Yeah. yeah. The part of the sentence we left out was, as the hospital was a teaching facility. Yeah, it really pulls it all together. Yeah, it still doesn't make it much better. The wording could have been better, but the imagery, like I guess that is what they do there. So yeah. So first we imagine a guy cut in half by two vehicles. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Next thing you know, the medical students experiment on cadavers like they're frogs. Yeah, this seems normal. Yeah. All right, where am I now? Oh, okay, after the teaching facility. After an hour of hijinks, what the hell is going on? Hey Doc, we're done fucking around with this thing. Let's get back. <laughs> we're we're bored with this cadaver. Can Spring we have a new break? One? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. After an hour of hijinks, the heart monitor they'd hooked up to the body began to register beeps. Thinking the machine was malfunctioning, the students sought out a physician. Suddenly, what began as a chance to experiment with a fresh corpse turned into a serious emergency. Two years and 24 surgeries later, Ricky's survival made medical history. His case is termed unexplained by the medical community. You and I would call his survival a miracle, and you guessed it, he had a humdinger of a near-death experience, one that featured an out-of-body experience, brilliant light, loving voices, and being able to view all of history from beginning to end. That would be... Amazing, right? Beginning to end, all of history, where you it's like a, like the Tativo of the universe, right? You're just like, I want to go here. I want to do this. I would, I would totally sign up for that. But also, it could be just his way of blocking out the trauma of being experimented on. Probably that. So he took himself to that safe place. Yeah, by time traveling. Yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Was he was he with the doctor? No. Following description was given by Ricky Bradshaw on November fourteenth, nineteen ninety two, about. The key event in the middle of a near-death experience that 
he had undergone. Another being entered, the being of light. Each individual uses different words, Buddhists, Christians, and so on. The light of this being being the light of this being was so intense that his light preceded him. I could actually feel the light. It was warm. It was love. I felt insignificant and wanted to crawl under the podium and wanted to hug him. I was still tense. He says, Do you know where you are? Yes. What is your decision? The unused nine-tenths of my brain opened up and I saw the whole of my life. I recognized the truth. How to react with animals, other beings. In life we block off, close them off. I was looking back at my life. Was such and such a sin? That wasn't so bad. Treating others badly was the worst sin. Love for others was the most important thing as he loved me. There was instilled a fire within myself to continue to grow, to know, to search. I said, I, I didn't really show others the love I should have. You get what you deserve. I didn't deserve this beauty, I said. I must return, he said. Why, aren't you happy here? I said, I must give love to those who gave me love. Ah, That's very wholesome. That is. And that would sum up pretty much what every real religion is supposed to be, right? Like, just love. Like, everything is just love people. Just be nice and kind. Yeah, that's you know, like, that's what we, and no matter what religion we are, we kind of yeah. uh, believe in loving. And people. even if you're not religious at all, like that's kind of like the basis that everything falls back to. Like if you're kind to people and you love people, then you will get that as well. And in the at the end of the day, that's kind of what we all want. As weird and sappy as that will get. Yeah, yeah. So I really, I really like that story. It was super interesting. I forget there was more to Ricky Bradshaw. I think it was him. I don't. He may be. Uh, buddhist now he may be like i can't remember what it, like it was it, and it may not be that it may be some weird culty thing i can't remember it's been a while but yeah great story either way like that is it started very very badly yeah it started very badly very graphically yeah that you and even just hearing that you're like definitely didn't survive there's yeah. no way this dude's alive right now did all any of those medical students make it out of medical school the real hard-hitting questions that's what we need yeah yeah i don't know man i don't know how do you feel about that story though the message is interesting the uh and I think in, in the intro or basically the description you started with mm. also talks about this, like this person made the choice to come back out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah. They did. They kind of skip over maybe some of the negative things that when you go on a, a long journey, even in the afterlife, there's everything can't just be perfect. Mm. There's just no way that that works in any realm, even in a place called heaven. There's. You think there'd be there'd be issues in heaven? Like, Maybe oh, not like crap. the normal issues we think of, but I, I can't see it being what we imagine and yeah. being peaceful all the time. So there's got to be something that we're not hearing about. If it, it if it actually if heaven exists, there'd have to be a little bit more to it than what is brought back or communicated to us in near death experiences or the holy scriptures throughout the world. There's got to yeah. be something that isn't in those stories of the afterlife. Because the afterlife is perfect. And while it's nice to imagine we're going to go to someplace better, nothing's perfect. I mean, everything runs like it's supposed to in the universe. But it, that, I mean, yeah, wouldn't I it be boring to have perfection forever? Let me tell you something, Christian. No, no, it would not. It would be great. Like the, the issue that you're, I think, attaching to it would be that in humanity, nothing is perfect it's because everything, there's either an ulterior motive or there's something behind why this is happening there's some reason behind it and stuff but if you have to if you drop all that off and it's just perfection 
Well, also, like it's the way things should be. There's no second guessing. There's none of this. There's none of that. Like it's just the way everything should have been. Then I imagine it would be nice. Like here it sucks because everyone is selfish and everyone kind of. Okay. Here not. Oh, there are a lot. People are selfish and it's kind of difficult mm. for people to get along with people. Yeah. And one of the other problems that have been around since the beginning of whenever men and women showed up on this planet or mm. humans showed up on this planet, it's nature is metal. So you're going to get murdered by a, um, a lion at some point in existence because that's just the way the world works. Yeah. But think about, think about this for just one second. Like in, in this plane, things matter that might not necessarily matter in the other plane. Like you got, you know, people are constantly, there's always war. There's always like people fighting for what power, power. money, all that shit. And so if you, if you cross over into a plane that doesn't hold either of those things. I imagine it'd be a much more peaceful existence. It, there wouldn't be a need for any of that stuff because those things don't matter. And to imagine that, we almost have to go back to my thing I was saying about how you would see the afterlife would be different. Perhaps. The only way to experience things differently would not be able to would be not to be able, not to see like we humans see. Yeah. So whatever that would be like, we would have to experience that world differently. That's what I'm saying is something's missing because the afterlife is supposed to be perfect. We've heard that and loving and timeless, but that doesn't really explain anything. So whatever you experience cannot be explained in normal ways other than maybe a near-death experience that only gives you part of the story. So we're missing a big part of the story. Unfortunately, the the irony in that is that we're missing a part of a story that we will never have until we cross over ourselves. Which is something maybe we should learn about death because, and this goes along with a lot of religion too, yeah. and just in general, we're so afraid of it. We're so, that we can be manipulated into worrying about death as we should be living. You know what I'm so, Maybe the whole process is just like a lesson where you should look at the world around you differently while you're in it and not mm -hmm. worry about not worry as much about what comes next that you're missing so much around you. Could be. I always I always go back to and it's not even my religion. I always go back to uh, like reincarnation, how the idea of reincarnation makes a lot of sense. Like you keep learning every every life that you're in. You're like you learn a little bit more about what it's actually about. And then once you once the scales are kind of tipped in that direction one way or another, that's when you're actually entered into what you would refer to as paradise or something yeah. like that. You know, that makes a lot more sense than some of the even the Christian view in a way. I mean, it's it's almost the same story. But just conceptualizing it in a way that you have to learn here and and progress in different ways to reach that like place of nirvana or something. Oh, there's so many questions in this universe. And unfortunately, we're never like you're listening to this podcast, hoping that maybe we've got some of the answers for you. <laughs> the truth is we don't. I, I think they're listening. Just they're listening for the stories. Yeah, You're just as curious as we are. Yeah. We yeah. Don't, they, they don't expect us to always have the answers. But one of these days we are going to have the answers or we already have. And if you're worried about too many other things like heaven, instead of being in the moment, you might miss that. We've had a couple of good answers here, no matter who you believe. They really do be like that. All right. Uh, I'm going to get us into to hell and back again. We Ooh, go. This is going to be a fun story. Um, it's not actually a story. I think it's more actually something else. But oh. uh, <laughs> I just okay. realized it's not so much a story. Uh, there are many near-death experiencers who truly feel they journey to hell, not heaven. These people are usually silent about the whole affair, fearing scorn from others. And rightly so, for there are experiencers and researchers alike 
who are quick to declare that only murderers, liars, and cheats undergo unpleasantness in death or wind up in hell. Others think that only, quote, Bible belters who are Christian fundamentalists are condemned to hellish experiences because only dogmatic people like them believe in eternal hell and damnation. Wrong on both counts. There is no evidence whatsoever that links frightening or hellish experiences with, quote, bad people or those who hold more fundamentalist religious views. Quite the contrary. Such states are encountered most often by ordinary people, many who are family-oriented and active in their communities and businesses. Just a quick comment on that. Yeah. Maybe the guilt of not quite being as religious as they'd like to be as they're, mm-hmm. and when they're dying, that guilt kind of comes back in a way that maybe makes them experience this differently than somebody who is com- like, comfortable in their faith. Like a second guessing yourself type of thing. Like, oh, what did I, was I wrong for living like this? And then you well, kinda... and, and we can look around and see people as they age. We do see people at the near, near the end of their lives all of a sudden worry about what hell there is going to be to pay on death. And you yeah. see them change or make a change or get fearful. And maybe some of these people who aren't necessarily re- religious have a, a, a scarier view of these experiences because of maybe a little bit of guilt or un- not being sure. Yeah. Just not being prepared either. Yeah, like you haven't scared. spent your entire life wondering this shit. So you're not like yeah. cushioning that blow a little bit, you know? Yeah. And somebody with really strong faith has no doubt what is going to happen. So there's no fear or less fear at the end. True that. Just a theory. Well, and again, Christian, uh, neither of us know anything about what actually happens when we die. So any theories welcome at this yeah. point. You know, if you have an idea, I'd be like, hey, maybe this. You know, we're just trying to cut through this nonsense together. Can I have a theory before you go on? Uh, how, how short is it? Is it a, is it a long theory? It's is it not. Brief? It, it, it doesn't have to do with me talking. Oh, perfect. What's that? I have to pee. <sighs> Sorry. It's almost time. All right, so we're going to go over some common trends in near-death experiences. For some experiencers, locating the bodies when it's time to return can be quite challenging, especially if, as happened to George Ritchie, their bodies are in a morgue. Ritchie claims that if it wasn't for his left hand hanging below the morgue sheet with his class ring on one finger, he might have never figured out which body was his. That'd be weird. (laughs) <laughs> That'd be super weird. You're just like this floating soul-like thing. You're like, well, shit, man, how do I get back? Where am I? You would think you would just lift up the sheet and check, but or look, peek under, but yeah. we already established I would be a little squeamish on that. True, and you wouldn't have any physical hands, True. so that, that might be difficult. <laughs> See, the more you talk about this story, the more difficult it gets. Exactly. Congrats to George Ritchie for figuring it out. It's easy to jump to the conclusion, and many do, that near-death episodes are self-fulfilling experiences of those who are already predisposed to believe in them. Cardiologist Michael Sabum of the United States and psychologist Margot Gray of Britain, however, discovered that those who know about near-death states are rarely among the people most likely to have them. That's weird, too. That is kind of weird. So if we'd be fucked then, we'd probably just almost die and then come back and be like, I don't remember anything. Yeah. I just saw darkness. Yeah. Scary. Nobody wants that. Yeah, like Jon Snow. Game of Thrones reference. You yeah. won't get it. Well, I got it, surprisingly, without you saying that. Wow, um, nice. Yeah. I get called Jon Snow enough. 
Um, <laughs> the near-death experience, or NDE, is an intense awareness, sense, or experience of otherworldliness, whether pleasant or unpleasant, that happens to people who are at the edge of death. It is of such magnitude that most experiencers are deeply affected, many to the point of making significant changes in their lives afterward because of what they went through. And that's kind of what I was trying to get you to to say earlier when we started this episode, but you took it to a weird place. Like that I would change based on, yeah. oh, you wanted me to be a better person than I already Yeah, am. I wanted you to come back and be a better person. But I'm, I'm pretty awesome. Uh, we'll run a poll on that and get back to you, but <laughs> sure, why uh, not? Well, I mean, no, we don't need to run a poll. I, I, I like having what's in my head. There you go. There already. Don't we all? Some researchers state that the entire span of a near-death experience is merely differing aspects of the out-of-body phenomenon. For those who have experienced both an OBE and NDE, there's no question that the latter are far more intense, powerful, and life-changing than the perception or sensed reality of leaving one's body as if a consciousness apart. The conviction is also maintained by near-death-like experiencers whose episode matched or came close to the NDE model, even if the prospect of dying was not a factor. OBE states are commonly an aspect of the larger. In those scenarios in which the near-death or near-death-like experiencer had an out-of-body episode, those I spoke with said they first viewed their body either from a point directly above or from a top corner of the room. Many claimed that after vacating their body, they floated elsewhere in a bodiless state. Initially, though, the main staging area was the left upper side of the room, especially the upper left corner. A few spoke of being drawn to the right side, almost always to a ceiling corner. Scott had a similar experience perspective-wise as a kid in a fevered state. Wow, you know what's so weird? I left myself that note six months ago, and I was thinking that as I read the fucking... <laughs> it's been so long since I wrote this episode that as I was reading that that little tidbit there, I'm like, damn, I kind of had something similar to that when I was like in a fevered state as a kid. It's the strangest thing. Wow, thanks me. Way to go me. Boy, do I know myself, huh? Um, yeah, I did. <laughs> I always laugh when I see little notes in here for yourself. Yeah, I uh, yeah, I did have an experience like that. Um, I remember having like this crazy high fever or something when I was probably like under 10 for sure. But I just remember it almost like I felt like I was a security cam in my bedroom looking down from the corner of my room at me, the open door. All this shit, you know, like, like I was, so when I read corners of the room, I was like, damn, that's so weird. I had something very similar to that. Did I die for a moment as a kid? Maybe I would say that one was more out of body experience. Yeah, probably. I was like, just like dead in my bed. Like, you know, because you're of your fever and whatever fight your body yeah. and brain were going through, maybe you were able to slip away. Your consciousness could slip away yeah. for a little bit. So I need some peace and quiet. I'm yeah. out. Yeah. And it just makes sense that that would happen. So I don't think, you know, as a fever... I mean, you could die from a fever. Yeah. Many people do, but it almost seems like maybe you just stepped outside of yourself for a minute or. Yeah, I just went out for a smoke. Yeah. Like, before yeah. you even knew what a smoke was. Yeah. Smoking that good astral air. Yeah. Yeah. Very strange. Thanks again to me from the past. <laughs> it is estimated that 70 million people from all walks of life have experienced the extraordinary when mourning. Melvin Morse, MD suggested that a majority of widows and parents who have lost children have visions of the departed within a year of death. Andrew Greenlee, 1987, and the University of Chicago's National Opinion Research Council found that 42% of the U.S. population answered in the affirmative to the question, quote, have you ever felt you have been in contact with someone who died? He went on to write an article about, his, about this entitled, 
quote, Mysticism Goes Mainstream, which was published in the January-February 1987 issue of American Health Magazine. Widows and widowers commonly report evidence that suggests their counterparts have survived. That's from Gallup and Proctor in 1982. I've, uh, my mom said that about my brother, that she saw my brother um, after he passed. And I think my dad might have too, in some, in some sense, like seeing him in the hallway or something like that in the morning. And my mom said she saw her dad. That's weird. Like why, but why would it happen for some people and not for like, I didn't, I never saw my brother. My sister, I don't think saw him. Like it's maybe it's just like a parental thing, like connection there. Or, I don't know. It's very weird. Like of all the people in my family, I'm probably most likely to see anything. Maybe they needed it. And you didn't. Yeah, maybe. Huh. I mean, you can't tell like things like that. There's no rhyme or reason. Yeah. Or- it's just questions. So that's the thing. It's like, it's just curious. My, my own curiosity. I'm like, what the hell, dude? Couldn't swing by and say hello to you, your baby bro. Like, it's very interesting. Like, like I read that and it just kind of clicks. I remember after my brother passed and like, my mom saying, yeah, I could swear I saw him in the hallway or saw him doing this or it's like, damn, it's good to know that. It's actually also kind of weird to know that that happens to a lot of people. Well, and some of that could just be a memory. Just, but you just get because of the pain and and loss, you're a little deeper into it, and then yeah. you you might see it, and it throws you off, or or it could be something else. Yeah, very I, I'm strange. Just, I'm not a firm. I'm not a, and we've talked about it before. I'm not a believer that souls get left behind for just to like. Yeah, we've. I think we both kind of more agree with a lot of that ghost stuff being like embedded into. Yeah, there in in a in a perfect, and I probably said things weren't perfect earlier, but in, in the way the world works in the universe, whatever level of spirituality or science, yeah. there is a perfection there. And leaving souls behind on earth doesn't seem like a per- perfection type of thing. That seems like bad management. True. True that. Uh, even though child experiencers identified religious greetings in terms typical of their upbringing, they were consistent about racial skin color. Jesus and Muhammad, for instance, had brown skin, irrespective of historical record or of the child's own race or exposure to other races. Future studies are needed with child experiencers to further explore this and other findings about the greeter, about the greeters they describe. See, that's kind of funny, like the kids being like, yeah, I saw Jesus. He was brown. <laughs> he was yeah. No, he a, wasn't. He was not a white boy. His mom and dad's like, no, 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 no. Shh. That wasn't Jesus. You saw fake Jesus. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's always fucking hilarious. I got a picture of Jesus on my wall. Yeah. He doesn't look like that at all. Looks like he's in a rock band in the 80s. Classic. The Life Review reported by so many teenage and adult experiencers in which individuals are given an opportunity to witness and relive how their actions affected others. Some report a tribunal, quote, hearing judges actually judging them for past indiscretions, errors, and mistakes. Most claim that it was, quote, me judging me. Regarding life judgments, children seem mostly to be given, quote, instruction or, quote, lectures about their lives. Tweens, teens, and adults are shown their life in a review or preview. A parental type of of being usually leads the kids through the instruction process. Older experiences are are most often left to make their own discoveries and instigate behavioral changes by themselves. Anyone at any age can have a near-death experience. That includes tiny ones still in the womb babes being born, infants and toddlers. Once they are verbal, our smallest experiencers do their best to convey, to convey what happened to them through speech, drawings, words on paper, or actions. The way their attempts to share their story are received determines, to a large extent, whether or not their episode was a, has a positive influence on their life or is tucked aside, ignored, or repressed. Although the pattern of after effects cannot be denied, the experience can be. 
while teenage and adult experiencers uh, occasionally say that they are they were able to see the power of prayer during their episode children on the other hand are excitedly outspoken about this phenomenon the youngsters i interview often said that once they left their bodies and quote could see better they saw prayers turned into beams of radiant golden or rainbow light that would arc over from the one saying the prayer no matter how many miles away to where the children themselves were, quote, hovering near death. Once the prayer beam hit them, they described it as being akin to feeling a, quote, splash of love or an incredible warming. One little boy said prayer beams tickled when they touched him. Because so many child experiencers have seen and felt the effectiveness of prayer, they afterward consider prayer the natural way to talk with God and share God's healing love with others. These children are far, are far more likely to emphasize the reality of paranormal spirit worlds and the importance of worship and the celebration of church than are others their age who have never experienced near-death or near-death-like states. Egyptologists believe that the king's chamber in the Great Pyramid was designed around a single sarcophagus, not for the purpose of burial, but as a way to cause near-death experiences. Once an individual was placed in the stone coffin and the lid attached, oxygen levels would quickly deplete. The lid would not be removed until a certain time had, had lapsed. Tradition has it that if the individual survived, he would be a good leader, possessed of special gifts. It's a little extreme. It's pretty crazy, right? Also, when they go back, the, these children are far more likely to emphasize the reality of paranormals, which is fine, it, of the worship in celebration. Oh, you know what? I got that wrong. Ignore everything I just said. Nah. One thing, though, with all these different age groups, how they explained it, when you break it down, those were all, those are all like the, some of the deep level worries of that age group or their their experience in life. Like the, the little kids were being taught something because basically, up until they get into high school, you're basically teaching your kids constantly. Yeah, everybody that talks to them is trying to teach them something or get them to conform a certain way, except for maybe other kids. So maybe that's why they would kids explain more of a like a, a lecture or teaching way of experiencing whatever near death but also the prayer beams is yeah. an interesting like visual i've i've talked about that in uh, past episodes because i've been researching this one for a really long time that i've had i've probably mentioned it a few times but the idea of like you know how people say that like words are powerful and that you shouldn't be negative or you should you should be more positive and good things happen like that's kind of what i get from that is like sure you know i could say it's prayer because that's in my religious like you pray for people and you try to lift them up when they're going through shit and so but i could also see it just being words in general because every religion says that as well that words are powerful well words are this magical thing that are basically that basically becomes a spell in yeah. a lot of cases it's intangible know. but it's at the in a weird way it affects us more than most other things yeah so. you, you can speak things into existence these this the destruction you can cause with words yeah you know you know the the magical things in people's life you can you can cause i mean but also when you think about the words you hear the most it's just the words inside your own head just basically berating you all the time could you imagine if yeah. you spoke nicer to yourself probably feel a lot better yeah right yeah, so seeing or hearing the beams like on the other side where the beams of light are seen as like prayers coming out from the person saying it to the person that's receiving it is it's a, it's beautiful. It's like such a great image. You're like, wow, that sounds very nice. Yeah. <laughs> like, that sounds that sounds great. Yeah, sign me up. But for even that. for a skeptical person like myself, yeah, I can get on board with some of that because of the magic of speaking words yeah. and um 
good thoughts and prayer. I mean, yeah, you know, you, prayer could just be a form of energy from one person or a group of people to another, you know, and that's what this prayer beam almost sounds like, you know, light is energy, no matter where you're looking in, in the universe, yeah. it, it feels, you know, unless I'm missing something, light is generally formed from energy of some sort. I think you're missing something. <laughs> <laughs> it could be. I don't know, man. I don't, again, I don't have the answers to any of this shit. If you do, if you're out there listening and you have the answers, please feel free to write in. If you have a near death experience, please call a freaky deaky at 1-801-997-0051. I think that's it. Actually, I might've guessed it. Good work. Can't remember what I had for breakfast this morning, but apparently the freaky deaky voicemail line is buried in my mind. I had steak for breakfast. That sounds about right. Um, okay. You want to lead us into pre-birth experiences? Pre-birth experiences should be entertaining and probably has tunnels involved. Sure. This is about Carol Gray. Thank you. Two weeks before the birth of Carol Gray of Atlanta, Georgia, the doctor informed Carol's mother that there was no heartbeat and the baby was dead. At the moment of this particular memory, Carol recalls seeing her father screaming and enraged that his wife had killed his son. He had expected her to deliver a boy. Wow. Wow. Thanks, Dad. He grabbed his wife and threw her across the room into the corner of a large table, rupturing her uterus. The mother was rushed to the hospital where a dead baby girl was delivered via an emergency cesarean section. Then, to everyone's astonishment, the child began to breathe. Two and a half years later, in front of both of her parents and several relatives, Carol Gray repeated to her father every word he said when he threw his pregnant wife into the table. She also accurately described the setting of the room, including furniture placement. Her parents were dumbfounded as no one had known the full story of what had actually occurred, nor had the family ever discussed that day among themselves. That's a fucking crazy story, man. That, that is, is a crazy story on a, on a spiritual level. But also, mom's is still a dad. Yeah. It sounds like. And karma didn't forget about him or his little daughter. Yeah. But think about it, like the daughter was what, two and a half? Two and a half years later, she's like, hey, I uh, remember when you threw mom against the then both yeah. of them were just like, and have relatives nearby. Oh my God. Dude. I love that one because then, you know, no matter what, everybody knows. Nobody, every, you know, yeah. be, because, uh, you know, maybe this was his once in a lifetime violent reaction, but some violence you don't get forgiven for that easily. So I'm glad this one came back on. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird to hear pre-birth experiences like like where it's like you're just in the womb and you're like, like, I wonder if, if that's like you tapping into your your mom's. uh you know, like, you, I mean, you're using her as like a meat puppet to begin with, right? Like, so can you tap into your mom's eyes? Maybe. Can you kind of feel, like, in certain instances, are you able to see what your mom is seeing? Like, you you literally are kind of, I don't know, a great way to describe it other than. I mean, that's one way of looking at it. And that's, yeah. I think, the way most people would. It, you know, it could be that the, the baby's able, able to access the mom's memories once whenever the the consciousness enters the soul, but a lot of people don't believe consciousness 
actually is there yeah. until later on in life. That's a lot of people, but see, then you hear stories like this and it may, it just makes you question it, man. It I, makes you at the very least question it. I don't necessarily believe that you have to have conscious consciousness to know what happened when, when the, the, uh, it, the, uh, fetus was in utero, I guess is how you say it. Um, well, I mean, if you can make up your own rules about anything, then sure. Why wouldn't, why would you need to feel that you need a consciousness? To, well, you don't need a consciousness <laughs> like, to see things and experience things. Theoretically. Maybe. It, theoretic, that's I very mean, theoretic. That's, yeah, yeah that's, cause we can't say one way or another anything about yeah. We can't say whether animals have consciousness yeah. or whatever. There's not much we can say about it. We just believe that there's such a thing. But we can decide that in the future we need to do an episode on do animals have consciousness so write that down. That can be an episode that you can look into. That'd, so, be, that'd be a fun episode. So I shouldn't say yes right now? No, you should leave it open. Leave it open for the animal part. The womb, I think we've established, apparently consciousness is there theoretically. You theoretically think it's not. I theoretically think it is. Some political factions will believe one way. Other political yeah. factions will believe, see, believe another way the for fact, their own yeah, purposes. I think the fact that it's political at all is dumb. I think it's anything that's politicized, stupid. Get rid of it. Like this is just a matter of opinion on both sides. Like it, uh, you could be a, a person on the left and think, oh, well, I think uh, wombs or fetuses have consciousness. You could be on the right and say the same thing. You know, like it does, I think because it's politicized means that people at play are trying to use us as puppets. And that shows my conspiratorial side, which we don't get into as often on this podcast anymore because people get really weird about that shit. And we're not trying to, we're not trying to deal with that. We're just trying to have fun. Yeah, we're just we just there, like talking about weird shit. Yeah, there's <laughs> you know, some things like, out there we can talk about, but yeah. they're not that much fun. Yeah, I mean, so, if you, if we're missing something, let us know. Yeah, uh, when it gets to the point that we re receive weird reviews saying that we're far left and and we think this, or we're just like puppets or something like that, that's when we're like, you know what? Maybe even though the conspiracies are fun to talk about, maybe we shouldn't talk about them as much because it's a really sensitive time in well, the here, world. It's not just that, but a lot of places you're banned once you start talking conspiracy. Sure, you know, major social media. Yeah, it's getting weird and out there. So. You know, we can have fun with Ghost and Bigfoot and we'll do some stuff that's conspiratorial, you know, for fun. Yeah. We're not. And if we see something that's not for fun, we'll bring that up, too. But most of the time we're here just to to laugh about things and and, and learn new things. So the podcast for the curious. Yes. Not the deranged. And also for people to watch Scott fail to convince me. Ghosts exist. Yes. Which is why everyone tunes in to begin with. I know. So fuck your conspiracies. All right. Um <laughs> But no, actually, we are like in the future, we would like to have a conspiracy podcast, but we have to do it in a way to where nobody gets super offended, like that we can well, talk about shit without. Well, and there's so many out there now, too. Yeah. So many, you know, exactly. and there's some yeah. great ones. Oh, yeah. So if we will do it here, if we come across something that moves mm -hmm. us in the right way that we think we can put together, Project Paperclip early on was. That's fun. Was a good conspiratorial thing. Yeah. We'll get back there. Maybe. Or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just keep talking about ghosts and shit until the world burns into oblivion, which is possible in the next few years here. So sit tight. Yeah. There won't be any near-death experiences after that. Or there'll be exclusively near-death experiences after <laughs> that. Um, okay. So let's get off the weird train that probably lost us at least a dozen listeners. Um, let's dive into number two. Heather, can you... Oops, guess not. Uh, Heather. I know. Yeah. Heather, your name is here. You're with us in spirit. This is uh, Tannis Pruton from Vancouver, British Columbia, and he's 20 years old. Why do you automatically assume it's he? Tannis? Because every Tannis I've ever known has been a man. Christian, yourself? 
I've never known anybody named Caneth. I went in with the the confidence, hoping that you'd just believe that mm. my slip up was indeed <laughs> confidence. <laughs> just confidence. And if I wouldn't have I would have gotten away with it if I didn't if it wasn't explain free. it to you. Um yeah. okay, so Tanis, he or she says as a young adult stepping out into the working world without the necessary coping skills, years of stress and worry escalated. I would throw up my food after each meal. I could not even retain water in my stomach. I had become emaciated with a weight of approximately 86 pounds. I was so thin, a size 3 dress hung on me. Definitely, uh, we, I think we could say that for the most part, Tanis seems, at least without assuming anyone's gender or how they identify, is a woman. Does it really? It's it's a, it's a person in the story. That's what's matter. <laughs> okay, the dress. The dress hung. Picture it however you want. The dress hung. On, was it blue or gold? Doesn't matter. Eighty six pounds. I was so thin. A size three dress hung on me. I had bruises up my spine because I had no padding on my bones. My hip bones looked like a saddle. My father would sit with me at the breakfast table, coaching me to eat, but I could not hold it down. Ooh, I can see where the story is going already. Pretty dark. I entered a period of depression where I felt my soul had died through my body, though my body still existed. I could see myself suspended in darkness, the valley of the shadow of death. Quote, one evening I could not sleep. I was lying on the living room sofa and my father was sitting in a chair across the room from me. I called out in a whisper, God, what is wrong with me? Instantly, I felt myself move down within, then up and outward, rather like a U-turn. I felt the most wonderful, gentle, loving, warm wave start at my toes and move up my whole body. I felt love, and on the screen of my inner mind a message was imprinted by God in very large black capital letters, love. I left my body through my head and suddenly moved rapidly toward the corner of the ceiling, back there at the corner of the ceiling. I did not look back or see my body on the sofa. I was on my way. I felt like ducking as the ceiling was only an inch from me. Then I was outside, moving through the very dark, very vast space. As I moved, I became distracted by something to my left. Looking there, I saw small, round, glowing spheres of light. They seemed like people or spiritual presences. I felt they were lost, sad, and I wanted to help them, but I was not allowed to be sidetracked. I was aware of a presence at my right side keeping me on purpose. I was at a point of pure consciousness racing toward an unknown destination. I felt no fear. I did not miss anyone or anything I left behind. Gradually, a light started to appear ahead of me. Very rapidly, I was enveloped within this most divine, living, golden white light, my home. The joy, bliss, humility, awe were beyond human capability to bear. The light was an infinite, loving, accepting being without form. It had personality. It communicated with me telepathically. It was pure truth. I was the light, and the light was me. I was still a unique, separate point of consciousness with the same sense of humor and awareness that I had always had, but the paradox is that I was more. I had become homogenous with the light. I was all love, wisdom, truth, peace, joy for all eternity. Human words fail to express this experience. Not only was the message of my true nature conveyed to me telepathically, but I experienced the spirit of the message. I felt it with every speck of my being. There was absolutely no possibility of hiding, distorting information, or lying and communicating with the light. I fell madly in love with the spirit of truth. There was no concept of space or time in the greater reality. All takes place or exists in the eternal now. That is my last conscious memory of the experience. Damn. 
that's just wild. That that's like the the kind of like that bright light that everyone talks about, like that that warm, just you know. Yeah, and I liked how this person said you can't really explain it. Yeah, it was just there. I was part of it. It was part of me. Like I was everything. You know, that's which yeah. which if these people are experiencing this would explain a lot of why they keep using the same words and stories and images. It's because yeah. they it's it's beyond being able to explain what the words we have in human vocabulary, maybe. Maybe. Because we cannot understand really what that form of afterlife is, what you are, what your consciousness is. Yeah. There's no way, I don't think, for, for us, even if we've experienced Fully this, grasp it, yeah, yeah. to understand. That's the hilarity of it, is that so many people want to know, that, or they hear the stories and like, but that doesn't make sense. Like, how does that work? And then the people that experience it are like, it just did. Yeah. That's how it happened. Like, that's the only way that I can physically convey this message to you is that this is what I felt. Right. You know, there's, there's nothing in this universe, you know, really makes sense in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Everything's crazy. You know, whether crazy. you're talking Big Bang or God or, or anything. Big foot. Like, yeah. yeah. It, none of it makes sense. And to normal random people walking around on a marble. No, it doesn't make any yeah. sense at all. Spinning really fast. Yeah. yeah we're walking around on a big ball. And guess what? We're not falling off. Yeah. Life is weird, folks. Buckle up. Yeah. It's just the truth. Yeah, like, it doesn't that's, make it. We should be spun yeah. off into the far that's, reaches of space to never yeah. exist again. That can be our next podcast where we just talk about things that should happen that don't and nobody talks about it. Yeah. Gravity, guys. What the hell? <laughs> What's right. up with that? <laughs> okay. I could just not fall off this weird ball that I'm standing on. Yeah. Strange. Strange, but somehow here we are. Super, uh, super interesting. Let me. All right. Yeah, I can read this next little bit, and then we can do a little open discussion and close it out that way. Okay. Trigger warning. Oh, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, this next bit is about suicide and near-death experiences. So if, if that's a trigger warning for any of you out there, feel free to just skip ahead. I don't know how far it's going to go. I don't know the length of time. I'm sorry is what I'm trying to say. Like, as someone that, and have you ever had, you've had people in your life commit suicide, right? Right. Yeah, same. My brother lost my brother a few years ago. It's not something fun to talk about. And so I get if people are easily triggered by this topic but or not even just triggered if emotional warning if you're if you're going down this path reconsider get help yeah reconsider yeah but it's also at the same time near-death experiences it's something that i feel like is a good topic to throw in with that no i i think this is something we have to touch on for this but yeah okay at that time my life was a mess my relationship with my fiance ended dramatically and unexpectedly I was hospitalized for 30 days due to the fact that my blood pressure had skyrocketed to 210 over 180, borderline for a stroke or heart attack. I was released right back to the same stressful situation that had put me there. I finally decided that I wanted the pain to end, so I took two bottles of pills plus a fifth of booze. I lived for the next three days on heart monitors, as there was no counteractive drug they could give me. I experienced leaving my physical body in the ambulance. I could hear the conversation my friend who accompanied me was having with those who attended me as well as what they reported to the hospital from a position outside and above the ambulance. I could see inside and outside the vehicle at the same time and I could see the surrounding houses as, as we went by. That's weird. That is. I, see, that's hard to really comprehend. But the fact this person is saying, like, yeah, easily, easily enough. I saw inside, outside the houses. Yeah. It's just it's further further proof that we're able to see without our eyes. Yeah. Just knowing. And again, goes back to what we were just saying. Does it make any sense? Yeah. Good luck figuring it out. People. Yeah. 
The next thing that happened was I found myself in a different place. The best way I can explain this place is it was a different dimension from what we know as the physical. Things were not concrete and fixed, but somehow fluid, yet not liquid. I conversed with a group of people there. They did not have physical bodies, but were more of an energy that was iridescent. I had no fear. There was a sense of peace, almost as if I was dreaming, but I wasn't dreaming. It didn't feel strange, it felt normal. There was no pain, nothing physical, just me sitting there talking to these people. They were telling me things, yet it wasn't verbal communication, more of mind to mind. I was given a life review, but I was not only shown what my life had been, but what it would mean from this day forth if I were not there. Not only did I see this, but I experienced what it would feel like for others, for people I knew and loved, and for people I had not yet met. I was told that I had a choice. I could stay, or I could return and complete my life. The choice was up to me. I felt no pressure. I felt that whatever my choice, it would be all right. There was no sense of judgment of myself or others. It was the most overwhelming feeling of unconditional love, so totally accepting. And there was such a sense of freedom. All this seemed to take a long time, and yet there was no time at all. If this sounds contradictory, I agree. But that was what I experienced. This experience was not of this world, so to explain it in regard to this world cannot be done. The next thing I recall was being in the emergency room with the doctor. He was reciting my daughter's name. I credit this doctor with being very attuned, for if there was anything that could have swayed my decision, it would have been my daughter. I can't say that I woke up spiritually enlightened. I woke up to the life I wanted to leave. I was angry I didn't die and stayed that way for quite some time. I was still rather self-destructive, and after about two years of horrendous anger, I found myself on my knees praying, okay God, you're not going to let me die, so teach me how to live. I then started dealing with myself and my life. I began to seek professional help as well as God's. Interesting. Why do you, and, why do you need professional help if you have God's help? Good uh, question. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm being a jerk. Good question though, great <laughs> question. Um, sorry, no, it's a great story. I like the end about I didn't come back and everything was like hunky dory. No, I really like that. Yeah. That was that belt. Because that's accurate. I feel like that would be very, you come back and you're like, like I'm a change. No, like you're still in the same shit life you left. Right. Maybe just perspective has shifted a little bit. You become, you get into a place where maybe you can work your way out of it. Yeah. You know, and that's maybe what happened after two years of suffering yeah. and wondering why they were still there. This is a further proof that the old, uh, you're going to hell if you commit suicide. Exactly. Yeah. It's not quite what people yeah it's just a scare tactic yeah and like the thing but i think it was it's maybe coming out of the mainstream a little bit because Which is like good. growing up for sure i my entire belief system was if oh if you if it's a you know cardinal sin as the catholics would say if you take your own life like but i think which it would have been back in the day when the people were mere servants to the lords of the land Maybe, and you didn't yeah. you use didn't want them to <laughs> well you use escape yeah the uh the, the priest in the region yeah to keep your workers alive in any way shape and form so you know True. it's just one of those things that comes in to religion yeah as rules of man and causes a lot of pain i, I have a um a friend who who whose partner had committed suicide yeah and another friend w brought up uh, the other friend was catholic and just was kind of vocal at the wrong times and saying that this person's former partner was get basically going to suffer. Burn hell for yeah. All eternity. Yeah, it's not what you want to hear. And that that just makes no sense to me. Yeah. You know, it just makes no sense. And to maybe yeah. some people listening, it does. And that's fine, too. It just, it doesn't to me. 
Yeah. And it, that's what, that's the thing. Like I believe that most of my life, Yeah, like yeah, I lost my brother in 2018 and that was probably one of the first things that kind of passed through my mind. It was like, fuck, you know, like I was lucky enough at the time to be going to like a really good church that I'm not a church guy. I really, I've been to a handful of churches my entire life. Most of the time, just shitty people. Like, and you can see through it. It's easy to see through it. People just put on a face or whatever, but this church was really special. And so I went down there and I just talked to the pastor, uh, like the next day and, and the way that he worded it was like beautiful. And I wish I could convey how he worded it, but just can't, Yeah, you know, and it kind of changed my way. Like I've, I've watched a few videos of different pastors saying different things for my personal religion about, you know, why that it's such a messed up view to think that if you take your life, you're just automatically like, Oops, going to hell now. Yeah. Is and maybe that, is that another myth that came straight from Dante's Inferno? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not too sure the exact origins of it, but I think whatever they are, it's taken far out of context. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and used as a scare tactic more than actually like what religion should be used as like, Hey, we should all love each other. We should all yeah. be and kind. The, and this yeah. is, this is how we learn to love each other Yeah, because life is hard. And half the time we go around angry at each other and mostly angry at ourselves. You know, when we talk about how everybody kind of hates people or is afraid of people or angry, the bottom line is it's, it's, we just have trouble experiencing or we, we have trouble treating ourselves the way we should treat ourselves. So of course we're going to have trouble treating other people correctly. And that's this whole, uh, this whole life thing in general. Yep. So I think, do you have anything else you want to add or should I close us out? Nothing. I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's a fun topic that we're going to be arguing about for a long time. Oh and, yeah. And I'm definitely still a believer. That what is what is ever on the other side of death doesn't matter to me right now true you know it may matter to me someday but to me it's like the the things that are around me now are what matters yeah what what really matters to me right now is the fact that i have an audio clip of you saying i'm definitely still a believer so scott clip that out oh my gosh <laughs> use that in the future damn sometime it. when damn it I ask you a question that you deny outright I'll just clip that out and then put in the, the words of you being like I'm definitely still a believer I think pe I think people that listen to us will know like when, something seemed out of place there yeah they'll be like uh he would never say that about that um oh actually I'm gonna say in the in the pre in last week's episode if you didn't listen to the outro song you should because there's like a, a part in the outro song where it kind of dies down a little bit and then right before it gets back into that 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 drop or whatever and there's just enough of a space for me to put some like a, a sentence or a phrase or whatever and i can't remember the exact but at some point you said this is science and so i just i, just, <laughs> I think it filled that gap perfectly so like the the music kind of like slows down for a second and then christian just says this is science and then it goes right back and i was like perfect yeah perfect fitting for that song should be a new ringtone for all of our fans yeah you can find the tfd this is science ringtone at no um yeah so i'll close out this episode then um and for the record uh, we mentioned i think off air that this is probably going to be a, a part two at some point where we just find different nde stories because i really do love hearing what people say when they you know when they die i'm kind of dark like that sorry uh great stories all the same i should reach out to a friend who's died multiple times yeah Let's maybe see. you should so, but sometimes like there's this one lady got struck by lightning like 15 times or something she's like never saw anything died multiple times <laughs> yeah bummer she's a demon there you go that makes sense 
Okay. Um, so for anyone that may struggle with the idea of death or the fear that is often associated with it, I thought it wise to end this episode with a quote from Thomas Edison, as reported by those present at the time of his death. Leading up to Edison's death, he was in a coma. While taking his final breaths, Edison emerged from his coma, opened his eyes, looking upward, and said, It is very beautiful over there. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. See you all next week, right here on the Freaky Deaky. Goodbye. Yeah, I could see. Still a believer. Go.